As a product marketer, I mean, I find myself spending so much more time with customer success. I find yep. myself spending so much more time thinking about brand, you know, all these intangibles that I think, you know, have nothing to do with the product and really right. have to do more with your company experience. You're listening to GTM Disrupted with Mike Smart of Egress Solutions. Learn how product management and product marketing thought leaders are rethinking their business strategies to thrive in a world of radical change. Hi, my name is Mike Smart and welcome to Go To Market Disrupted. Today I have a really special colleague, someone that I've known for a long time, done a lot of work with, Alex Gamelgard. Alex is a go to market and product marketing executive she has expertise in go-to-market strategy and brand outcomes and focuses on B2B SaaS companies. But in addition to that, she's done work with AI companies and robotics companies. As a consultant, she works cross-functionally with senior leadership teams to help them define and drive product strategy. Alex is a diverse and impressive background, in my opinion, in the industry. Um, she's previously worked with companies such as ActiveCampaign, SoftBank Robotics, Rentalytics and Aptus in leadership roles such as head of product marketing, head of go-to-market strategy, and senior director of brand development. I'm really excited to have Alex here with me today. Alex, thank you for joining us and taking some time with us today. Thanks, Mike, and thank you for that very nice intro. It's all true. All true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I took that capsule kind of to set the stage, but I really would like it, and I think the listeners appreciate it. If you can share your journey, your path, how did you get to where you are today? What what things have you experienced and that sort of thing as you've you've been in this business for a long time? Yeah, you know, I'll say I think I I think I got to where I am today sort of by accident, but looking back at I don't think there was any other way it could have gone. So, first person in my family to go to school, graduated college, had no idea what to do, ended up in sales. Uh, luckily, ended up moving to the Bay Area. You know, I never knew that tech marketing was an option as a as a lifestyle and a job. And you know, I found as I continued to be obsessively interested in what was making sales work, what was making marketing work, what was making business strategy work, really all those roads point to product marketing. And so, you know, I ended up in that function and have just really, you know benefited from this being a profession that lets you learn over the course of your life. So I think, you know, half my job is learning and paying attention and then half of it is teaching. And, you know, really at its core, I think that's what product marketing is all about. So, you know, it's, I feel very lucky that I'm in the career I was supposed to be in and, you know, kind of ended up doing it accidentally. That's actually an amazing account because you've said on hit on two things that I think are just really makes it exciting and it sort of brings the, the authenticity to it. One, you didn't plan this. You got here by way of just a series of activities and, and intention. And the other thing that I think is really cool is the fact that you understand that this is about giving and receiving, learning and teaching. Mm -hmm. So th those to me are, are just amazing ways to find job satisfaction, to find career satisfaction. You know, I met you back in the days of Aptus, if you recall that. I know that's been a while ago. You know, one of those early of unicorns, and we don't even use that term anymore. But I'm curious, sort of looking at the long, sort of long view, when you think back to those times, you were in a, a, a senior director role of product marketing. You were running all of the practices there around product marketing with, with some 
influence and intervention from a lot of different people in that organization. <laughs> when you look back at that, what do you see that's changed from those days, specifically for SaaS companies, but in general in the tech sector in terms of how go-to-market is approached and how it's even thought about? What, what, what Has anything changed significantly? Mm-hmm. And, and if so, what is it? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I feel pretty lucky to have been coming up in my career at that time compared to now. You know, I think, like you said, you know, unicorn was a term. It, it felt like there was a lot of excitement and energy and enthusiasm, but there were also a lot of best practices being established by companies like Salesforce, HubSpot did a great job establishing some best practices for marketing back then, Marketo as well. It was this time where there was a lot of rigor and discipline and enthusiasm. Marketing, you could measure it for the first time in a quantifiable way with the, you know, the advent of digital. And you know, I think the industry as a whole you know, was still young enough to where, you know, there were processes being put in place, but you could still make mistakes. And, you know, there's still a lot of opportunity. So it's almost like, you know, if it was a a company looking to IPO, we were at the series B Mm -hmm. stage of of tech. That was a great environment to really kind of learn the rules, which has benefited me in most recent years, because this is a time of breaking rules. And this is a time where a lot of the rules are changing, don't work anymore, and, and things are moving so fast. Um, you know, it's it's great to have those fundamentals around, you know, growing a business and thinking about business models and thinking about, you know, what good looks like, quote unquote, and then how to apply it in an environment where, you know, most of the companies I work with are, you know, trying to behave more like consumer companies. You know, product-led mm. growth is this huge thing. You know, we're, we're moving away from kind of the traditional selling into the enterprise. I'm seeing more SMB businesses. You know, everything's <laughs> everything's changing rapidly. Right, right. Now, when you look at it that way, and you, you mentioned something I thought was interesting, you said you came into the business at a time when there was formation of best practice. And now you see your clients, companies you work with, quote unquote, breaking those practices. What's behind that? What do you think is... That's usually a cause and effect sort of thing, right? So what do you see as the cause that's making people rethink all of these these interesting and even compelling ways in which we ran a business just even five years ago? Sure. You know, I think one of the most interesting things to me about business is how connected it is to just macro trends. So, you know, I, I tend to think really, really as big, as big of a picture as I can possibly take in, you know, and I think in the last five years, you know, obviously... COVID-19 changed everything, you know, but also this move to remote work. I think Mm -hmm. we're seeing, uh, you know, in the tech sector, um, a lot of hesitancy and uncertainty. You know, I think Mm -hmm. teams are struggling to stay connected. You know, everyone that I work with struggles with that to, you know, maintain an engaged workforce. I think, you know, the new uh, kind of cohort of people coming into the workforce have totally different expectations for how they want to engage, how they want to be treated, demands for work-life balance, you know, all of these great things. These these macro trends are making it impossible to do work the way we used to. You know, I think on the buyer side, uh, that's all changing too. You know, when I, some of the early companies I worked for and, you know, even going back a little bit further before my time, you know, those first business systems were not user-friendly and, you know, even ones in the last 10 years, you know, user-friendly and, Frictionless experience is a relatively new, is, is relatively new for business products. But 
I think in the last you know 10 years with iPhone, everyone has become a tech user. Even, you know, my, my aunt and my grandma have an iPad and are on it all the time, you know, so people are used to what a world-class technology experience can be and they're demanding it when they buy business solutions too. When you think about what you learn, because that's valuable. Yeah. And I got to believe that has a lot to do with why you're able to stay in the business and stay valuable to your clients. Mm-hmm. We're talking about things that have changed. But do the best practices, those things that you learn, are they still are they still valuable? Are they still they still contribute to what what clients want to achieve? Or is that have have we seen this thing get turned on its head? I guess is really what I'm asking. When I think about the way you asked that, uh, the way you phrased that specifically, I don't think the best practices are so different. I think. You know, at the end of the day, if you want to grow a business, you have to understand your customer and you have to deliver products that the customer you know wants. You have to anticipate their needs. You have to understand their needs. And you have to think about their ecosystem and their world and make your mm-hmm. solutions easy for them to use. You know, you have to have great education. You know, you have to have great support. So those fundamentals are all still the same. I think what changes is the delivery mechanisms the way teams are structured around them and, you know, how you get to those, uh, you know, in a world that looks very different at a macro level. I I was going to say in the the macro environment that you describe, I mean, we just came through something that hasn't happened in globally in a hundred years. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, so, you know, you kind of sit back and go, gee, you know, how often do we have a global pandemic? Oh, you know, about a hundred years ago, and there was a hundred one a hundred years before that <laughs> that people nobody around remembers these, right? So we're now we drew the coming out. Ticket. Yeah, you know, we're coming out of this thing, and it's like you're right. Things are radically, they feel radically different in some ways. But I, I'm, I'm not putting. I don't want to put words. in. This is a chat. I want to put words in your mouth. But, I, but I believe what you have to offer probably resonates more than it did because we've blown away all the bullshit, right? Yeah. I mean, all of the, we, we just talked about the fact that you worked for a unicorn, but we blew <laughs> that bullshit away because when we ended up with 1000 unicorns, there was no such thing anymore, <laughs> right? Right, right. <laughs> exactly. So we're back, I, I don't know, this is just my mind meld. We're kind of back to basics, right? So we all are. those valuable we are. things that you picked up at Aptis, and I'll say this to you, when I went in there, you know what my mission was, was to find out what's broken in your company. And I walked <laughs> away and the investors weren't happy with my A plus or A minus, whatever <laughs> I gave you guys. And something's broken. I said, no, it actually really isn't. They're doing all of the right stuff. It's those, just things aren't, hard. those things aren't less valuable today. They're not. My, my world, yeah. when I interact with clients, They're screaming for this stuff more. And I kind of see there's a wave of people that have come in this business that have only understood this massive, explosive, expansive world that we live in, right? Absolutely. And they are ill-equipped to handle a down cycle. They don't know what it means. I mean, my LinkedIn feed right now is just doomsday. Every time I open LinkedIn, it's, you know, people are terrified. And then, you know, of course, there's the cycle of, you know, how much empathy people are extending to that. And, you know, it's, 
Well, we're having it's, we're, you know, <laughs> it's crazy. People, we're having wakes for, and this is this is this is maybe harsh, but see, I've been around long enough. I've seen more cycles than probably most people want to talk about. You know? <laughs> um, we're having wakes for people who've lost their jobs, not lost a pet that they love, not lost a loved one. They've lost their job, and part of it yeah. is because we haven't seen this in context for the last 10 years. And we have yeah. things formating around the industry that are, I had, I set up a networking group and I watched the formation with 27 people in the room starting a conspiracy theory about how and why these companies are laying people off. And I just <laughs> turned off my volume, put myself on mute, shut off my video and I waited until it was over because I wasn't <laughs> gonna say anything that would have been politically acceptable to anyone. Yeah, I think- It's not about, but the part of it is we all think it's about us, right? And it's not, it's to your point earlier about the macro cycles. Right, I, and this is a this is a, this is is a a tough one for tech. It is you know, a tough it, one. It is a tough it one. It is, and I think to your point, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I get a little bit sad myself when I think about, oh gosh, are we ever gonna go back to the days where it's, you know, fun and exciting and rah-rah and, you know, I was just in downtown San Francisco yesterday, um, you know, at the Google offices. And I mean, they're so beautiful, uh, but they're empty, you mm -hmm. know, and and thinking, walking around and looking at, you know, these big porches covered in lights and, you know, oh my gosh, what a beautiful environment to work in, but nobody's here. And, yeah. you know, that's yeah. a mix I, of, you know, not just the layoffs, but, you know, the whole change to remote working. And remote working you know, is probably the biggest factor, right? That people, people are no longer being asked come into the office there's some hardcore I, companies that are it's but, hard for the young people you know I, I really do think like I mean you know I mean I, I the, the guy I'm currently dating I met at work you know 10 years ago you know a lot of my close friends I met in the office that I am still friends with today you know and learning those it'd be hard to meet somebody at work and end up in a dating cycle from zoom right it just would not. <laughs> I mean that wouldn't happen <laughs> you know, and I, I just think like these people are, yeah, I think there's a, a generation of workers that, you know, are missing, looking for mentorship. They mm -hmm. don't understand what the best practices are. They don't, right. you know, I really got, I feel lucky that I got to absorb a lot of that when I was coming up and, you know, learning lessons from different departments and people I wouldn't even interact with in a meeting, right. but just hearing them complain about something in the hall and connecting that back to something I'm working on. And, you know, I think, you know, I think I think it's a huge blessing to have flexibility, and I would certainly never say I think everyone has to be in an office all the time. But I do feel bad for this new generation of workers that are struggling to see what good looks like, and mm -hmm. it is clear and it's palpable, and it's it's manifesting, I think, in companies' performances and you know all of it. So, so true to this podcast title, we are in the essence or in the vortex of talking about go-to-market disrupted, not just as providers and purveyors of technology have their markets disrupted, their workplaces, which is responsible to go market, has been completely disrupted. Yeah, so absolutely. Workshop this with me a little bit. Tell, what do you, what's missing? We can't go back to the way things were in 2017, right? That's <laughs> correct. I mean, as much as I want to hit rewind, I, I can't. What are the missing pieces that you think about? If you think about, you said you think about this a lot. What what mm -hmm. what what pieces need to be brought to bear in your mind? What what do you see that needs to sort of pillars, if you will, that sort of create foundation to take the next step forward? 
You know, I will be curious to see how the dust settles after a lot of these companies are scaling back, you know, resetting. One of the companies I'm consulting with now, you know, they've just had a series of rifts, but they were positive in the sense of now we have a leaner team. You know, it was mm-hmm. getting really challenging to keeping all we blow up so much during the pandemic. It was starting to get very difficult to keep everyone on the same page. And, you know, collaboration across so many people and doing so many extra things, you know, became impossible. We were focusing on everything, trying to run, scale, jump, you know, all these and coordinating. I mean, the more the more people, the more goals, the more OKRs you're chasing, more verticals you're in, the more, you know, the more more meetings, the more meetings you're in. Yeah. (laughs) And you're introducing a lot of complexity. And that complexity is much more difficult to deal with in a remote distributed workforce than it is Mm -hmm. in an office, you know, where you can just gather cross-functional people around a whiteboard and and just deal with things in the moment. You know, you can't do it the same way. So I think, you know, being able to kind of scale back, you know, and I'm seeing businesses do this everywhere with the way they're hiring, you know, the way they're laying people off, even the way they're kind of, I mean, every company I've talked to has done a reorg in the last six months, at least, Right. even if they didn't lay people off, they've reorganized. Mm -hmm. And, and I would say now that we understand that the business model, single threaded business model of growth is not a really good business model. There must be margins and profits that go with that. <laughs> then the practices you talked about with, with affection that you learned in the early stages, they have to have a bigger, better play because they're they're proven over time, right? They didn't mm-hmm. change just because we 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 got digitized, we digitized everything, they accelerated, but those practices used to be manual practices. I remember running those practices manually on a spreadsheet, right? Before we (laughs) got so smart that we could take a CRM platform and automate them. Those (laughs) things aren't going to change. They're not going to go away. I agree with that. I I agree that those things are still, the needs and the the needs are the same. The challenges are different. Egress Solutions is a high-touch product growth and market success consultancy. Since 2009, Egress Solutions has had successful engagements with the top technology organizations, delivering insights into buyer preferences, product market fit, product management, and go-to market excellence. Egress Solutions accelerates top-line growth and market success for our clients. Go to www.egresssolutions.net to learn more. I was thinking as you were describing this sort of buyer preferences changing, customer behavior changing, and I said, same thing. It's sort of like you could have been a star on your high school track team, whatever your sport was, or could have been a star on your high school cheer team, whatever it is. And then you move up to the next level and you go to a division one college. It's the same game, but there are a lot Mm -hmm. more people competing and the Mm -hmm. bar is a lot higher. So if Mm -hmm. I was a, six two high jumper in high school if i couldn't clear seven feet in my college i wasn't on the team and i think that's sort of, and if you could do three backflips as part of the cheer team it's somehow you need to do that and a somersault without, <laughs> right. without falling when you come down at college and it's just a different game same game different level of expectation different level of competition i i feel like that's kind of where our industry is we're growing up right I think that's definitely true. And kind of to your point, 
you know, about there being more competition. I think in the last decade, there have been so many tools created to make it possible to build copycat businesses. You know, it's really, it's really unusual that someone gets to be the only provider in their space for any, you know, the second the market, no, you know, unless you're just really, really early and you're ahead of buyers and you're spending all of your time trying to, you know, educate the market. But the second someone else sees that you can make money from something, you know, they're building, they're right behind you. So they can get way too many tool options to simplify and lower the barrier to entry, to use an old school term. And then mm-hmm. multiples of trillions of dollars of people ready to invest to copycat. <laughs> exactly. There's a great book by Rita McGrath. I think she's a rock star. The first book she came out with several years ago was called The End of Competitive Advantage. And mm. basically what she lays out is this concept that says, given the leveling playing field, the democratization of technology, there is no competitive advantage anymore. It sort of it's leans very in. rare, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, I would say that the competitive advantage will last probably two or three scrum cycles because if yeah. you come out with a capability, I can look at it, copy it without even fringing on your rights and replicate some variant of it and, it and take advantage of what you didn't do right my next iteration. And so when we live in that kind of world, my my thinking is, and this is supposed to be a chat, I don't want to dominate this, so <laughs> I'm interested in your perspective. <laughs> my thinking is that practices, the kind that we have around our, our business, product marketing, go-to-market practice, become even more important because a tech is not differentiable anymore. It's not, it's, you can't differentiate on technology. I think that's right. And I think, you know, I would also say, you know, sometimes I'll see people posting, you know, the best product is the one that wins. And I mean, that's that's absolutely not true. You know, like I, like I wish it was as someone who really appreciates good product, but, you know, it's becoming a company, I, I would say the easiest or the simplest or, you know, the, the lowest cost to making this work for me, you know, or the one my friends talk about, or, you know, like mm-hmm. there's so many other things that, you know, if you're thinking about winning the battle in a space, you know, having a good enough product is the bar. And then from there, it's, you know, your customer experience, your service reliability, you know, how people are talking about you, how you're showing up on review sites, you know, that is all of it is so important. And so, you know, I think even as a product marketer, I mean, I find myself spending so much more time with customer success. I find myself spending so much more time thinking about brand, you know, all these intangibles that I think, you know, have nothing to do with the product and really have to do more with your company experience, you know, is what people are buying. Do you feel that we have reached a point where we really need to rethink what the product is. I'll share a story with you. Had lunch with a friend. He just bought a Tesla. It was the $80,000 and $95,000 variety of a car. So not too expensive, but certainly not a cheap car. And he tells of the experience of picking up the car and being told that the car he drove in with was not allowed on the parking lot. I mean, yeah, exactly. And and then a whole list of other things, which I won't go into, that were sort of disruptive to him, so much so that he said, if they asked me to do a one to 10 likelihood, it would probably be a five or less. I said, but you got the car, right? All this cool tech. He says, but the experience was awful. Everything Mm -hmm. from picking up the car to everything that happened, it was not good. And so... And that sort of my my takeaway from that was 
at the consumer level, and you said it earlier about thinking about iPhones and iPads, that company kind of redefined what the product was for us all, right? Very true. Yeah. yeah. And we're never going back to think about the product as the as the thing that we hold up or the thing that we <laughs> touch anymore. It's everything that goes along with it. I mean, think about even Google. How much have you paid Google <laughs> when you think about oh. that as a product? <laughs> a good chunk of my retirement, maybe. <laughs> if I think about I, it in the broadest comp concept, if I think about me running a small consulting practice and paying for AdWords for a number of sure, years. I mean, sure. so if I go down that path. As a marketer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, oh my God, I don't want to think about that. I'm afraid, you know? But as but, a search engine user, I mean, I've oh, no, nothing. Zero, 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 nothing, right, right. But that's probably one of the top products, you know, I that use. Is, that, is the, that is the thing that gives them all that money that they get to do the innovation with, yes. So, you know, thinking to your point about, you know, kind of redefining product, I think, you know, obviously Apple's a leader is like from the customer experience, the product, you know, all of the, all of everything that we love about them. But then, you know, Google kind of in its own way, you know, they have a product. I use their core product. I mean, of course I pay for it as a marketer, but as a, just a regular consumer, you know, I, I use all of their products without paying them a dime. And I just, you know, so it's, it's interesting. It's kind of, I don't think that would have been a possibility 20 years ago to think about having a product that was like that. Well, no, you're right. And so you hit on this earlier and I want to come back and maybe resurface it is this concept of business model, right? So not only do we think differently about the product, the engine that fuels the product is seemingly more about business model than, than just the, the tech that delivered totally. the box or the, the the package to us, right? It's it's so Google can spend all of this money, innovation, and make it all free for us because what they're making on the other side of this equation as a marketer, what you're paying them, is absolutely astronomical in the scheme of things. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you know, and we'll pay because we want to make our it's, own business. What other now. what other options do we have, right? So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. so they know they know they know what they've got is a is a once in a lifetime sort of event and thing, and everybody's playing this game. So why change it? Right. So they can give mm -hmm. us consumers pretty good product for nothing, and they can charge us marketers outrageous fees for we, what we hopefully to generation of needs in business. <laughs> well, and a lot of businesses have copied that model. You know, I, yep. I think about the number of marketplace companies I've worked for in the last few years or consulted with, you know, I early in my career, that was such an unusual, I just didn't run into that. And now mm -hmm. I feel like everyone I talk to is either doing category creation or, you know, they're uh, doing a marketplace and, you know, having <laughs> the free model and the paid model. You know, so I, I think it has definitely it's hit, you know, it's hit the broader market as a strategy that, you know, most mm -hmm. companies are at least thinking about. It's back to that copycat example you brought up earlier, right? We're all, we're, we're sort of all duplicating some of the same things over and over again. So question for you, if you were looking out in the space three to five years, what, what thoughts do you have about what, what's coming? What, what trends do you see out there that are really, potentially going to change things, even disrupt things even more? 
Gosh, you know, this is such an odd time to be looking ahead because I have not felt so much weirdness and uncertainty mm. and odd vibes in my entire mm. career in the Valley. Say more, say more about that. What, what do you mean by odd vibes? Tell me. What do you mean? Um, you know, I think some of the things we shared earlier about kind of the the structures of businesses themselves, you know, thinking mm-hmm. about investments in real estate, investments in people, how do we make new people who've never worked in a quote normal workplace that we're all used to, you know, how do we make them successful? You know, I think uh, you know, all of the the it seems like every year there's some crazy new global event that is you know, changing, <laughs> changing the way everyone's thinking about everything. So I think that, you know, it's an uncertain time, but I think mm-hmm. one thing that is, you know, unrelated to that, that I cannot help but be fascinated by is I think AI has arrived. I mean, that's not saying anything new. You know, I think nine out of 10 people you would ask what trend is interesting to you right now would probably say that. But, you know, I I think it's not just about chat GPT. It's even, you know, looking at the the war between you know, Bing and Google. And, you know, if we're moving towards a world where there's chat based search and this whole search model, you know, we were just talking about Google and how much money you know, businesses spend on Google and advertising. You know, if we're moving into suddenly a totally new way to search the Internet, um, you know, there are so many ramifications of that. And there's so many ramifications of Google being knocked down from its status. You know, yes. Uh, yes. They were absolutely <laughs> the the front runner and the leader in this space for what, 10 years or so? Yeah. I mean, they're. Yeah. And now they're being, they are, they are seriously being challenged. So I'll yeah. add this purely as a tease and purely sort of devil's advocate and tongue in cheek. I'm going to literally put my tongue in my cheek. <laughs> I've seen AI arrive four times, okay? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just sort of sitting back saying, I'm not going to say anything yet because I've seen this move. There, there is, this is sort of like Fast and Furious part six. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is AI part five. And it just shows how long you've been around. But but when you look at long cycles and we, we forget these things, these things come and go in ebbs. Our industry is so fraught with hype and so fraught with expectations that get out of line out of alignment with what's really possible, we have these waves go. And I won't even recount the previous three iterations of AI. It's not worth it. But we have one going on right now. It it has the feel of being legitimate. It does. That's it, this feels different to me because I, I feel like I've worked in, you know, quote AI companies most of my career and a lot of times the, you know, machine learning is really a team that you hired to, you know, manually do it on the back end and put it together or, you know, a bunch of uh, using 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 cubes and, and cups to move all this stuff around and come out with a right. magic answer at the end. Yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've definitely, you know, seen the the pretend AI and pretend machine learning and, you know, like kind of the, the vision that's not real. I will mm-hmm. say this most recent time. My even just playing around with chat GPT, it's the first time I've ever been silenced and like blown away. And I felt almost old, like a like someone who, you know, is kind of Alex, oh, you're not old. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just I've never had a technology kind of I, I think there was a week I was a little bit shell shocked just thinking, you know, this is this is this feels very different. This feels very real. I'm amazed at the kinds of information and queries and 
you know, hey, uh, you know, write me. I just read earlier someone had a, them write an NDA in the tone of Foghorn Leghorn and was sharing that around. And I, I mean, it was hilarious, but, you know, that's that's pretty, you know, intelligent. And I would I what we're seeing now is and because literally, if you go back to these previous instantiations of AI, one was completely fake. People were using rules based software <laughs> development to tell you it was AI. And it wasn't, it was rules-based. And we saw when it scaled, it broke, couldn't be AI. And then the ones before that were absolutely laboratory experiments. They they were literally, think about, you know, the, the, the old TV shows with the guy walking around with the white lab coat, literally doing <laughs> weird stuff with this machine with lights on it. I mean, those are, those are some early AI capabilities. This one has put itself in front of the average person, yes. the everyday user, and said, play with it. And so it has massive intrigue, obviously. And I think people who don't have the, the technical chops are blown away because they're now, and I'm not saying it's you, but people outside of our industry are now saying, I can touch this and see it. And it, it is mm -hmm. mind blowing. You can ask chat GPT or its brother who a younger brother who's <laughs> going to come along soon and blow it away. Some really interesting, compelling things and you can interact with it. I, I agree with you. I'm cautiously optimistic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think having so many consumers in front of it will only accelerate development mm -hmm. of it mm -hmm. and kind of the expectation of it and understanding of it, which is cool. I Divert think that, a few I mean, trillion most, dollars into the R and D of it. <laughs> right. I think yeah. I, to me, the three to five year prediction is what's going to happen in the search world. And I think that is, you know, when you think about how marketing teams are structured and where their budgets go and how they're used to getting eyeballs, you know, if there's a big fundamental change in how all that works, you know, that's going to be interesting. And you know, who knows what we're going to do as marketers to deal with it. So that's, uh, you know, things are going to keep being exciting, I think. I think you're right. We, we do not live in a boring industry for sure. This is why I think people come in and stay in it so long. And if you mm -hmm. like stability and those kind of things, you probably leave this because it's just always, like you said, it's always something weird going on, right? Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> and, right. There's, and there's a lot, of, and there's a lot of uncertainty as well. But you know, for the right type of person, this is kind of this is a cool ride. It's, it can be the it most is. fun that you can have in in a work life balance. If you can keep it in work life balance, it can be a lot of fun. I, I agree with you. Here's here's a question for you: Who do you, in these times of uncertainty? What do you look to for inspiration? Where, where do you find sort of people that know how to shine the light that you want to see and help you form your, your sense of North Star? Yeah, you know, I think, I think when I was younger, I probably focused a lot more on, you know, kind of vertical or industry specific stuff and, you know, really trying to, to spread that. But now I think I'm following people who are being good people and talking about being good humans and trying to, um, you know, bring other people up. And I think that's, uh, you know, like Adam Grant, I love, mm -hmm. uh, I think he's a great, um, you know, just everything he says is so just empathetic and compassionate and smart. You know, I like Nick Mehta from the CEO of Gainsight. I think he's yeah. got a really good look at, uh, you know, just being a good human for your customers and kind of putting that business lens on it. And then, you know, of course, for product marketing, uh, Product Marketing Alliance and Sharebird have done a lot of really great things for product yeah. marketing. So I think they're they're yeah. awesome. And yeah. then, you know, I think uh, as we kind of talked about things changing, I actually follow a few people on TikTok 
which, you know, is so weird. <laughs> That's where, you know, it's now become a place of, you know, funny, funny business stuff, I guess. And, you know, right. I love there's this guy, corporate bro, that has a whole bit about, you know, basically being an enterprise salesperson that makes TikTok videos that are so true. They are very painful. <laughs> and this woman, Rachel Woods, who does a lot on AI, and she's always got, mm -hmm. you know, tied in up with Microsoft and she's got some smart stuff to say. She actually has a YouTube channel as well. She's actually very, very insightful. Oh, yeah, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I found her on TikTok. <laughs> so, Alex, if someone wants to reach out to you, connect with you, find out more about the things that you do, how would they do that? You know, I would say the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. I'm okay. pretty open to accepting new connections and always love talking with people that are you know, that love to talk like yourself in the space. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my LinkedIn is slash a gammy, A-G-A-M-M-Y. And yeah, if you have any interest in connecting, feel free to shoot me a note. Alex, it's been a lot of fun. This is a Friday afternoon sort of chat. And that's exactly what it was. It was a chat. I really <laughs> enjoyed it. And hopefully exactly. you found it insightful and helpful in some way. I did. I, Good. I, mean, I always love talking to you. So this is great. All right. All right. <laughs> Alex, thank you a lot. Take care. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Egress Solutions, head on over to www.egresssolutions.net.